People, welcome. This is Hitch Hour, the first show, the first episode, whatever you want to call it. Before we get going, um, I've got a, a huge thanks to be given to a couple of organisations who, without the support, this journey would not be happening. And uh, we, Jared and I, would not be able to begin and continue to support veterans and their interests. Firstly, TMT Construction. They're owned and operated by a British Army veteran who served in Iraq and Afghanistan, among many other places, James Bro. Jim is a former Welsh guard and he's also likely to be one of the most handsome men you will ever lay eyes on. He makes grown men cry. He really is spectacular. A British Bradley Cooper, if you will. Uh, Jim runs TMT Construction with his civvy business partners and together they're sponsoring this first episode and others. Very generous. The company name TMT Construction doesn't really do their range of services justice, to be honest. They do everything from, from residential repairs and builds to commercial and industrial projects. They can tile your kitchen, they, they can even build your house. They can fix your driveway, they can build your business a new car park. They've got an amazing team of engineers and experts they use to complete projects around the UK. I actually know a company using them as we speak to do some um, extensive yard repair work at a factory in Birmingham. I know this because I recommended them. What I love about these guys, and I'm speaking from personal experience, is is that if you call them, they're one of those companies that they'll speak wholeheartedly and, and honestly about project plans and details, and they'll advise changes if they think it's in your best interest and in saving you money, even if in, in the process it means they may be costing themselves money because the project becomes smaller. Companies like TMT Construction, they're, they're few and far between. They're honest, hard-working people who, who prefer to garner a good reputation before a healthy profit. Reputation, as we know, is everything, and, and reliability is key, and, and they hold those two values very close to their hearts. You can find TMT online at tmt.construction. That's Tango Mike Tango, tmt.construction. I actually love their website. It's no messing about. Contact details, phone number, list of services right there for you. You don't have to navigate reams of waffle to try and get to what you want. You can get straight on and call Jim's company. If you need some fences, they even do that. Fencing even. If you even need some fencing, they even do that. In fact, if you go follow their Facebook page, just search for TMT Construction, if you follow their page, check out the kitchen they just fitted. It's, it's stunning. It's oak or something on the worktops. I can't tell what the wood is, but it's beautiful. Lovely white units and stunning floors. Good work. Go find them. TMT Construction. If for nothing else, go follow the page. Get Jim to show you that beautiful face. Then pick up the phone and get them to do some work for you. You are beautiful, Jim, bro. Beautiful. In fact, in fact I should get them on the podcast, actually, so Jim can tell me which Greek god is god is descended from but more importantly how he's become so successful after leaving the army and, and made tmt what it is so again it's tmt.construction for the website and tmt construction on facebook check them out great people okay lastly 49 group 49 group sponsor every episode i formed this company with another veteran um i had to twist his arm to pay for the ongoing costs of the podcast website and also the video equipment I didn't really have to twist his arm. He, he jumped at the chance. So thank you, Luke, for supporting this campaign. I, I really appreciate it. I'm doing good things. Fortune 9 Group started out as a security company in 2013, then inadvertently branched into a military advising, health and safety consultancy and first aid training and services. Luke was actually the on exclusive on-set military advisor for the BAFTA-nominated British war movie Kajaki. He spent several weeks in Jordan in the desert and, and did an amazing job, uh, which cemented 49's reputation within the TV and film industry as, as reliable technical advisors, to be honest. Since those Kajaki days, 49 has expanded more so to provide security services to a range of clientele, uh, from security guards to close protection officers, but also into medical services in the UK and abroad. 
Paul Chenine's latest adventures or latest ventures have involved providing medical cover on film sets in London and enabling small businesses with no idea about health and safety to achieve health and safety accreditations from national associations. Check out fortune9.group to see what can be done. Um, if it's HSE, medical or security related, fortune9 can square it away. So fortune9.group online. On to the show. Our guest today for the first podcast is Jordan Wiley. Oh, super, super happy to have been able to get Jordan on. I think he's one of the most inspirational veterans out there. He's doing amazing things. Um, a huge proponent of uh, the Chennai sex and, and, and uh, a huge factor in getting their um, publicity raised and helping them get out of India and that diabolical situation they're in. A huge advocate, advocate of, of military causes and charities. Um, and we were lucky to get his time. He actually he's off to Iraq tomorrow. So without further ado, myself, Jared Cleary, Jordan Wiley, in H Hour, H Plus One. Cheers anyway. Perfect. Cheers. Cheers. Jordan, welcome to the first episode of H Hour. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure to be. you've got a busy schedule, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, I mean, as a, as a part, I mean, you were asking before, I'm talking a bit before, I'm, and for people who are listening or watching, like the reason, we're sort of flying by the seat of our pants for this, but it's, the intention of it is one, to get interested in stimulating um, uh, people on, like yourself, to talk about your life after military career, or during your military career, anything that we people that we think are interested that can benefit from veterans listening or people who just support veterans yeah and they can learn from it and that's perfect and in doing so the more people we get watching listening the more sponsors we get for it then the more money we can generate to be able to put towards good causes charitable causes military orientated be that charities or be that other organizations some way shape or form um so that's it really i mean i know you from old uh, I say I know you from old. I don't know you from old. <laughs> Twelve, six years ago is old. When I got out, you guys haven't met until just before, have you? No. When I got out, um, I think you got out before me. So I got out in 2011 and Jordan was involved with a, a training company, security training company. And I became involved with you guys' sort of business. Yeah, yeah. Business thing, wasn't it? And then we've sort of been, I sort of monitor since then on an office. hard not to monitor you, you everywhere. <laughs> There's but, a compliment in there somewhere. Yeah, there is a compliment. <laughs> but between then... And now, it seems... I know you're like an entrepreneur. You're obviously a very successful businessman, a very successful individual, and you're very inspiring with the stuff you, you post on social media. Oh, thank you. And you and thank you kind words. Uh, I do sometimes get sick of all the motivational memes and that. <laughs> not from you, not from you in general, but with you and with everything you've done, you know it's, it's meaningful and you're doing it for intent. You want to help people. But how... Uh, King's Royal Hussar, correct? Yes, yeah. Right. You left when? I left in 2009, at the end of 2009. You went to Iraq doing yeah, operational yeah, tours? Two, two tours of Iraq, uh, one tour of Northern Ireland. So my question for you is, you left in 2009, often done operational tours in Iraq, and I assume, yeah, I'm enjoying it to some extent and not in others. And But now, tomorrow, <laughs> <laughs> you're flying out to Iraq tomorrow. To do the marathon. To do a marathon, yeah. half marathon. Half marathon, half marathon half yeah, half yeah. Half marathon. Oh, for running dangerously. Book she then really half a man. And... <laughs> <laughs> it's for a para, for a, yeah. for a cavalryman, it's pretty serious business. <laughs> yeah. I've seen the hashtag running dangerously ever, for everywhere. I'll be honest with you, I don't have time to keep up, keep up with anything you're doing. What, what is running dangerously? What's yes. it for? No, well, firstly, it's, um, it's a real pleasure and an honour to be the first guest on the show. I think it's, it's great work what you're doing and I'm sure it'll be a, a huge success. So, so thanks for inviting me. Cheers, buddy. Um, but yeah, running dangerously, it's... 
essentially, you know, you you guys, you know, know better than me than anyone else that you know you serve in sort of these hostile, complex environments around the world, and you meet lots of people, you know, which is one of the great things, but also one of the downsides because you see how other people's lives are affected by war, by conflict. I guess what stood out for me, certainly in Iraq, but probably more so in the private sector of going back to places like Libya, Somalia, Iraq, Afghanistan, you meet a lot of children as well. And quite often, and I think probably having children myself, and like I know certainly you have, I don't know about yourself, Jared. No, but not yet. Cer- certainly not yet. <laughs> not that you know of. <laughs> the missus <laughs> wants some, but no one wants to breathe with it. No one wants to breathe. <laughs> uh, but no, it's... Uh, Having a child yourself, and and I just want to, you know, I've seen these children in some of these countries, and went to lots of orphanages and sort of the, some of the uh, the NGO stuff I've been helping with, and doing capacity building programs in Africa and the Middle East, and some of these children, you know, they're so innocent, they they, they don't understand anything what's going on around them, yet you know they're still running around kicking a football, and I just think if we could inject inject a bit of something else to give them some inspire some hope and, and change their lives for the better, um, we we should be able to do that, and I think education is one of those one of those tools that we can do that with i think certainly in in the west in the us or the uk we take education for granted and and actually you know people like myself and i'm i'm sure lots of you, if not you guys people who you know you leave school at 16 wasn't really that interested and we and we ended up finding ourselves in the military but and, and we take that for granted you know we weren't even that interested when we were at school anyway because we wanted to play sport or do whatever it was but actually you know, like you, I've gone back to studying later in life as I've started to sort of appreciate the value of it, having left school with no qualifications to then doing my foundation bachelor's master's degree. I, I really get the value of, of how important education is. And, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, I, I know I'm not going to change the world, but I think we can change a couple of people's lives by doing some, injecting some positivity into, you know, funding some education programs at a very basic level. I'm talking primary, maybe secondary school, but just giving some, some hope to these these children who, you know, who are affected by war and conflict. I think it's really important. And I'm going back to three countries um, that I've worked or served in, whether it be as a soldier or in the private sector. Um, so going to, I did a 10K in Somalia in, in February, which I was... That, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was incredible. It was it was such an eye-opener. Um, went into Mogadishu. Couldn't run there. Risk assessed it, as as we <laughs> would do. And it was just like, you must yeah. be crazy. Everyone was telling me, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get picked up, kidnapped, hijacked, whatever. Um, was <laughs> Did you it? have security? We didn't have security, and I had a lot of um, sort of local agents and fixers who I'd built up in the network over yeah. the years, and uh, quite a trusted individual who picked me up and sorted my hotel for a couple of days. And uh, but he just said it's too high risk. We saw we saw a huge um, suicide bomb uh, literally six weeks before, and it, it wasn't actually well publicised in the in the sort of uh, the Western media. But it was it was a suicide bomb that killed over six hundred and injured more, another thousand more, which is. You know, even even the places where we've worked, it's that's it's something else. It's another level. Yeah. Um, it was a fuel truck in in Mogadishu, and I was so surprised not to hear anything about this or pick it up on any of the news feeds. What was going on at the time over here, news wise, that overshadowed it? Well, exactly. Well, Syria. I, I, yeah, there's the, the Syria, the Mediterranean refugee crisis. Yeah. But I think it's like anything. You know, the news they tell us what they want us to hear. I've always, you know, it's the media. They influence the minds of the people, don't they? And that's yeah. how they control the world. But um, this. In Somalia, I, we we did the risk assessment and we said, you know, it's too dangerous. And fortunately, there was the first ever ten mixed gender um, male female ten k taking place a couple of hundred miles north in Somalia. Um, so we got on the phone to an expedition company called Untamed Borders. Uh, the CEO there, James Wilcox, he said, "Yep, I can get you in this ten k race. Um, it's going to be, you know, ninety nine percent Somali Somali landers." Um, so and he got me in it, and I was on a plane, and I was flying up to Somaliland to a place called Hargeza, 
and it was and I don't know you know what the what you guys or what the listeners know about Somalia but Somaliland is it's it's a self-declared autonomous state within Somalia so it, it's it's got its own flag its own government its own currency but to the rest of the world it's just another part of Somalia mm. and it was just the it's most, marked on the map though right it's marked it's marked on the map but just like a like a province if you like of Somalia like it has Puntland you know Somaliland but it's 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 a country that's been fighting for about thirty years for international recognition. Um, but nobody, for whatever reasons, political reasons, has, has, has decided to recognise it yet. If you talk to the UN, you know, nobody knows FIFA, UEFA, whatever. You know, no, nobody, nobody recognises it. And I went there, and the people were so welcoming. It was I could have been walking through, you know, I, I would say London, but I felt safer in Somaliland. Yeah. Uh, the irony of running dangerously, and I went to, I found, I un, 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 sort of discovered this new place, and it was. I had an armed guard with me, but I could go in restaurants on my own. I could could pretty much do anything and it was even the banks in the street they had piles of notes the banking was on the street sort of on the on the curbstone piles of tens of thousands of dollars and what have you it was, in, it was incredible and that was in almost complete contrast to somalia to somalia yeah, yeah and I, I actually i did i wrote a blog actually of that whole experience and i got i got a bit of friction from the somalia people because they said somaliland doesn't exist it's part of somalia so you know and, and i knew i was taking a bit of a risk but i wanted to I always try and tell a story through my eyes and as I see it, not through what someone's else's perception is. Mm. Um, whether it's right or wrong, I, I, I don't know, but I, I like to give a very authentic view as, as what you see and what you experience is, which is obviously different for, for everyone. Um, but yeah, we, we got that box ticked. Um, then it was now the next phase is Iraq. So we're half marathon in Iraq, um, fly out to Baghdad tomorrow. Um, and, and it's going to be a solo half marathon because the half marathon of Baghdad or Iraq has been cancelled because of the security threat. Um, so I spoke to uh, a few people in the network and, and a, a former King's Royal Azar, he's, he's actually one of the very senior uh, partners at Control Risks and they've agreed to, to support and uh, help my logistics and what have you. So very kindly donated their assistance for to make sure I, hopefully all goes with without any skirmishes, fingers crossed. Is the route under wraps? Can you talk about it? Yeah, the route's completely under wraps. I don't even know the route yet. So the <laughs> <Yeah>. route's, <laughs> the route's uh, they'll, they'll take care of the route and tell me when I arrive in theatre. Um, it's, it's Baghdad's quite flat though, isn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 it's probably, be the camp, probably be around the camp. Probably be around the camp, like <laughs> it's on a treadmill. You know, you obviously went to Iraq and the CP and stuff like that, and you get the old four hundred meter compounds, and you get blokes doing like eight yeah, miles, yeah. forty I've, odd laps. I've and, done that. <laughs> <laughs> did you see? Um, was it last year? Oh, we're going off topic here slightly. Did you see the uproar about what's that app? What's the app? Oh, the Strava. Strava. Well, is it in Afghanistan? Afghan and, and the US troops weren't it? US troops, right? Strava in the roots, troops when they're running around Strava in the roots will stri- and making it public. So right. you want the Strava map, yeah. Look on Afghanistan, it's just squares outlining all, all, the, all, the, co- all the camps, <laughs> <laughs> and they're the just embassies. running around the perimeters. <laughs> yeah. right. It's still on this, it was crazy, uh, it's crazy, it's crazy. So, um, that's good with CRG doing that, yeah, brilliant, yeah, really, really good support there. And actually, there's a lot of people, you know. A lot of companies, a lot of people who, who are supporting it. Uh, Imarsat with the comms, Frontier Risk with the medical side, um, Hostile Environment Liability Protection, a part of the Lloyd's of London Insurance Syndicate. Uh, they've they've sponsored my my um, you know my my kidnap and ransom insurance, my travel insurance, personal risk, all that sort of stuff, um, as well as a ten thousand dollar donation into the pot, which is mm. uh, it's incredible. And I think I, I always believe that life's quite reciprocal. You know, like like you, I know certainly you try and help people where you can. And a lot of those good things are coming back to me yeah. where I've tried to help now. You know, I asked for a donation, I sent an email out, and the amount of people that have come back is you know, great. Race. Yeah. I got a, I got a donation anonymous of twenty thousand. Um, I say anonymous, I know who it is, but they didn't want to be known, sort yeah. of thing. 
Um, just saying good luck. I think it's a good thing what you're doing. Uh, you know, it's incredible. Uh, this is the thing. I think as soon as, because, like your CKRH with Power Edge, and when you even like when you're serving or when you're out, there's always a banter and animosity to some extent. But when when you end up doing things like you're doing, doing things like Nick uh, Nick Goldsmith, Hidden Valley Bushcraft yeah, doing, yeah. and and things that hopefully we can do with, with this podcast. As soon as that happens, it doesn't matter what unit or service no, you're, you're from because in the back of your mind, that's what I think in a way, unless you're completely ignorant getting out and you're still in that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That, that well, well, I think they're the people who struggle, to be honest. Yeah, when, yeah. You know, yeah. When, when you, you, you know, when I, I get and I respect, certainly with you guys, you know, the... The, from a, an outsider's point of view, that the parachute regiment is, is is very elitist and rightly so because it's you know you, you train to be the best at what you do in the world and and I think you know people same with the, the Royal Marines as well you know I certainly in the maritime sector I come across a lot of Royal Marines and some of the guys who I, in my some of the, mainly the people who've been in a lot longer so the twenty two year career sort of men you know, they found it quite difficult some of them a handful of them who who've, you've got a cavalry guy who was a junior NCO. As my team leader, and I've just served 22 years in the oh, Royal yeah, Marines, yeah. and I'm a and I'm a specialist in you know amphibious warcraft or whatever, yeah. um, you know. And, and and I felt sometimes in my early the 2009 getting on a ship, it was you, I, had to, I felt like I had to work twice as hard, you know, than everyone else in the team. And then I was the team leader mm. to prove yourself um, because mm. people are sort of um, institutionalized to, to to the the military way. And I one of the things that I always say actually um, to service leavers is that. You know, and I'm like you guys. I'm very proud um, to be a former serviceman and a veteran, and I, I do lots still for charities and sit on boards of, of military charities and things. But one of the downsides, and, and there, are, there aren't many downsides to, to being in the military, I don't think. You know, it's, it's a very positive experience, and I recommend it to anyone. But for me, what I found the big difference between the military and the private sector is that the military is not necessarily a true reflection of your career, you, you, you as a person, and where you can go in life. Because I think things like Cat badge, squadron, battalion, whatever, courses you've completed, operational experience, your age, um, being in the right squadron at the right time or the right troop or whatever it might be, they're all factors that will influence your path and your career. Um, you have no control or you have limited control over those things if you don't get on the right course at the right time because somebody else has got that. You, know, you can't control that. Whereas in the private sector, you can pretty much control everything you do. You have a choice at all times and... As you as you guys know, everything is commercially driven. Everything is results orientated. In the military, if you if you don't do your job properly, you know I was in a tank regiment. If I didn't if I didn't maintain X amount of tanks by the end of the month, I'm still going to get paid. No one's going to. It's not, mm. not going to be the end of the world. In the private sector, that's that's a contract not being delivered on time. That's 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 the the client not getting what, what they've paid for. Um, so I think that. There's a very different set of skills required, although lots of transferable skills, but I think it's a very different journey. And, and we, we, we both have done lots of things to try and help in terms of educating service leavers. And I think, um, you know, I think the academic side as well, getting a better understanding of the wider world, not just there's a lot of people who leave the military who, and we digress slightly, but who've done all the tours. But doing the tours in this day and age isn't good enough anymore. You need to be, you need to have something else that makes you stand out from the crowd, don't you? Whether it's, specialist skills whether that's a medic a, a linguist intelligence you know mechanics um or having a, a, the academic piece to go with it a degree or whatever it is and 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 they do matter i think you know i think that people say oh, a degree what does it matter but if you if you've got two people and one's got the the, the, the operational experience and he's got that you know he's he's he's, mm. he's won the up on you already isn't yeah, he and I, I, I think with i think with the uh 
like the, the succeeding in the private sector. I, we, we've had slightly different experiences. I know what you have, but I think I'm talking now private security, Middle East specifically, yeah. which is obviously a huge part that blokes and women still go into now ex-military. Right? But my experience from it, and this is on, again, your your experience and, and how you do the contract and the kind of you know jobs you're on and, and your connections you make and your networking and the experience you get all varies from, from in my experience from project to project and the majority of the projects i was on um it, it was all very much instead of the right person getting the job and this is not me saying i was the right person to get the job i'm just you know there's like 150 <laughs> yeah um instead of the instead of the right person getting the job the majority of the time the majority of the time it seemed to be the the, the mates yeah. of the influencers and that's not just yeah that's common across many many industries and something they're trying to change um but in line with a lot of what you said when when guys get out when when especially when the security or anything the two things i i, I say is re- reliability is key you know you've yep. got to be reliable in the military and and blokes need to keep that on the go you've got to be reliable you say you're going to be somewhere on time and do it don't just you know fall into that rocket five minutes late because I can get away with it because yeah. it's sip pop and they don't have a go on me. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's major. But the other one is, and I'm stealing this phrase from a good friend of mine, is not to be a job snob because you've got the education you need to get if you need to get it. You've got your academic qualifications, your higher, higher education as well. But one thing you're lacking, and you were saying that knowledge of the commercial side of things and the corporate side of things, which when you get into 16, 18, you haven't a clue. When I got out, oh, I didn't even know what project management was. Yeah. I didn't know what corporate meant. I remember. I remember getting out and I was out the dictionary. What are they on? What's he on about? What does he mean? Uh, what does he mean? Operations manager. Yeah, and, yeah. Because it's not the kind of operations I was using. I didn't have a clue. And the way I, I learned was when I, when I was working away a lot of the time in, in Iraq, it was, was, it was in Iraq almost the entire time when I, when I was private, I came back and, and off good advice from other people, I tried to make a point of doing a job in the UK when I came back every time. And I didn't care what it was. I did care what it was, but I just did it anyway. Yeah. I I did stagging on, on as a security guard down on, on a river in Barking. Oh my God, it was the worst thing ever. I'd try and do two or three days. Yeah, yeah. That one turned into like ten days. It was horrendous. Night stag, like high vis. It was and it was freezing. But the people I met were fantastic. The connections I met were fantastic. And I did my job properly, and so I got a good reputation within. And you yeah, talk yeah. little things, and you, yeah, you might think, yeah, what, what staggering on a flipping river, looking at so make Not sure really, that, it's just personal standards. It's those core values what the military yeah. teaches you, isn't yeah. it? Make, make sure the pikeys don't come and steal something. It sounds crap, but it's not. I'm making connections. Yeah, I'm working out in the Middle East, but I've got I'm establishing a base in the UK to come back to. So when I'm when I wanted to make that transition back, it was easier for me. And yeah. If the contracts ever fell through, which they did all the time, all the time in Iraq, yeah. you had work waiting for you because you'd work with people. Uh, but you gain that vital experience of how it really works, of how it really works. Just working in the city street from small tasks, big tasks, highly paid tasks to rubbish tasks. Yeah. But it's the conviction to go and do that and, and not being a job snob because we value ourselves so highly than the military, and rightly so, for a senior, I mean, as a senior NCO, and you, you're swallowing your pride in a way, you yeah, yeah. stag on and work with someone else, who again, like you said, could have been Lance Jack and whatever, sometimes a civvy was the team leader, yeah, yeah. who didn't have a clue, and I hated him, but I was learning, and no one, no one very few people in, in civvy street, give a damn what your rank was, mm. I'd say, when you go into private security, and if if you go into corporate security or corporate the corporate world and wherever that may be, if you're an officer, very very helpful. If you're a senior NCO, as in warrant officer and, and above, that's helpful. 
Kalamun and below, pff, it doesn't make a difference if you're Kalamun or, or Tom in my, in my eyes, and that's yeah. from experience. I've seen it. You know, I've yeah, seen yeah. It. A lot of the, a lot of the times now, I give the advice is, and it may be right, it may be wrong. It's just my opinion. Is that the biggest factor if you're going to go in when you get out? That your biggest influence, apart from your knowledge of the of Civvy Street, which is going to be you know, your biggest influence on on what kind of jobs you can go for immediately, is your rank. I think the, the one thing you can work on. The one thing you, I, I think, yeah. I, I, because, like I said, you, you can get out as a sergeant or whatever, whatever years. You can stay in for an extra four, five, six years and be a W two and get out. And I think even just that difference, it makes a huge difference in the opportunities presented. You, know, I, I may be wrong, but that's that's, that's my experience, especially with the officers. I don't think we know that, you know. Like, and as you go higher up the chain in the military as well, you become more exposed to city street yeah, you become yeah. more exposed to the sort of the politics behind it. I didn't get those levels, but I'm you know aware of it. And maybe it, sometimes maybe it's, it's an easier transition. Maybe I don't know unless you're completely institutionalised. Like, what, yeah. <laughs> like you know, I, I was a I was a rejoiner as well. So I left the army, got out for six months, and then oh, rejoined yeah. again. Yeah, oh, which okay. is probably quite rare. Um, but I, like you, I was I, I remember 2005. I was out and I was stagging on a Tesco's Tesco mm. Express in Blackpool. Yeah, and my job was to press the button on the barrier for 12 hours a day. Um, six days a week, and you know you're seeing your family and your friends coming in, and you've gone from sort of mm. wearing your medals on parade to being, and then no disrespect to to, to the, no, you know, no. the, 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 the it's, it's a very important job. And like you, I made sure I was the best Tesco security the barrier guard <laughs> in the business while I was there. But it was, and it was a real character building sort of self reflection experience, and and I ended up rejoining. And, and but but actually being on that gate was a reflection of not, me not preparing at all for leaving the army the first time. I remember doing my sort of four weeks resettlement and I went to Magaluf for two weeks uh, and that was probably a reflection why I was stood on that barrier because I, I didn't really care. I just thought the world owes me a favour. I'm getting out of the army. Someone's going to give me a job. I've just served my country. I've just come back from Iraq. Can't be that hard, but it was it was really hard. Um, I had all these aspirations of the CP circuit and this, that and the other. Um, and then I rejoined, much to the entertainment at all regiment, six months later, rang up the CMO. Same unit. Yeah, same unit, <laughs> slotting back in. Even my bed space hadn't been taken. I went straight back in the same bed space and uh, same rank and what have you. Um, but, and, and the irony was, the first job I had was stagging on the front gate on the, yeah. in, in the camp, but it felt a lot better wearing the uniform. That, that was the hardest bit for me, transitioning back from, I did like five, five and a half years out in Iraq doing CP after the pilots. Yeah, yeah. And I've set up my own uh, uh, pet services company now, dog walking, basically. Okay, excellent. Right, and the hardest bit for me was saying that that's what I do for a living. And I was I ju- mm. just as I started it up, we, me and the missus, we went on holiday before I actually went full into it. And people on holiday would ask, you know, oh, what, what do you do for a living back home? And I was too quick to say, oh, I work in Iraq doing CP. And my missus was there and she'd nudge me or give me the evil eye and say, no, tell them what you really do now. Yeah, and absolutely. I'd be like, I've set my own pet company youth services. Like. And but it's not a manly job. You know, after being in the paras and war and then CP, bodyguarding, I was so like, I didn't, I was so ashamed and my, I had to swallow my pride. But then when I did, I eventually tell people, oh, I've set my own, you know, dog walking company up. Everyone's like, wow, they're, they're more impressed about that than what I did yeah, you know, doing yeah. CP. And they're like, oh, we, yeah, we need a dog walk, such and such. So I was thinking that I need a dog walk. Struggling to get them. <laughs> I was and, I was, and I was like, it didn't feel so bad at all. But, you know, the first few times of actually admitting that's what I did for a living was hard. I had to swallow, because like you say, 
you know. Yeah, you're very proud, aren't you? Yeah, as a proud, you know, sniper in the parachute regiment, and then a, a bodyguard kind of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Earning all this, you know, big money and stuff. And now I was earning, you know, to start off with like £20 a week and uh, to build it up. I know it's doing yeah, well yeah. now, but it was so hard to admit it. But then, but then. But now it's fine, and the amount of people I've met. But it's then great. The, the, the balls it takes, and I know, and we know it's from, I know blogs who, are, who have been working in the pit, you know, in the sandpit. Ten years before I got there, I was there for four years. You were there for five and a half, and they'll still be working there in five years' time. And you know, fantastic. But yeah, you, yeah. you can't do that forever. But yeah, and, yeah. but the reason I'm saying that is the balls it takes to go bang. I'm going to say something. Stop this. I'm going to go back and try and make make a go of it. And right, you should. Yeah. Anyone setting up their own company, the, the graft to go and do it. Is, is oh, just, it takes some serious. I think. I think, yeah, really I think you've got to be a little bit crazy as well. But that's all part of being the sort of entrepreneur. It's taking risk, isn't it? It's taking yeah, risk. It's definitely. Yeah. But but I think if you believe in something and you've got a vision, you know, why not roll the dice at yeah. least once and say, do you know what, I'm going to give this a crack yeah, and give it a proper definitely. crack and don't go in half-hearted. You know, go for it. Really, really put your yeah. eggs in the basket and, and push for it. Yeah, I mean, and just get it out of there. I mean, it's like with this. I mean, we, we, two weeks ago, we I had I had like a podcast in the back of my mind. I didn't know how to put it together. I thought, how are we going to do it and make it make it a, a good thing. Like a, a a veteran supporting thing, I didn't yeah, know yeah. what we were doing, and we you came down you, and I, we had a beer and we sat down and I said right and we, oh, we could do this we did that we I still chat. didn't know what we were doing so I just turned, I just turned up today <laughs> basically yeah I probably, this is probably the first time I'll ever do I won't be invited back again will I going, yeah, yeah yeah that was good yeah that was I had good. visions I was going to be coming for a beer didn't you I, I had <laughs> I was going to be the new Carl Pilkerton you know I'm an idiot abroad who <laughs> set me up here for something know, you said it, right? so I was there and I was thinking. He went, and we were all fight. Well, I was all fired up. He goes, he's going, what's he on about? He's got another mad plan. And I was sitting there at home thinking, I was going to miss anything. And, you know, I, he, we, and he is that entrepreneurialism. And whether you realise it or not, you're the same, mate. You, you, you come up with ideas and you think, that's fucking awesome. And you, you get the stage of developing in your mind that first step. You don't go any further. And the amount of times I've done that, like whether it's for my own personal benefit in some business or it's for something else like this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And you don't put it any further. I mean, ask mm. Luke. I, I'll message Luke, I'm a business partner. I'll message Luke and say, no, that's no idea. I'll, I'll, and it doesn't go any further. Yeah. I didn't even tell him about it because the next day I've forgotten because I never wrote it down. <laughs> and I got back with this and I thought, that's it, doing it. We're doing it. I said, and I, like you with, with the sponsors, I, I went and went to my old CP training company. I said, mate, looking at doing this. And he went, yeah, I'll sponsor it. Done. And I thought, right, I set we're in. I found out, I booked the studio, I got in the studio. I thought, I've got to get this all done before Jared changes his mind. <laughs> <laughs> got it, and then, got it, here we are, here we are, brilliant. That's, that's it. it. You got to, but that's the difference between, you know, 95% of, of the world sort of plods along, and then, you know, the, the pioneers, the game changers, the innovators, you know, the, the Steve Jobs, the Richard Bransons, they're the people who, you know, who really do make a difference because they take those risks, and mm. and I, I do believe that that you know, with great risk, often comes good you know rewards as mm. well. Um, if uh, you invest the time, I don't think I don't think the blogs getting out or in realize, and a lot, a lot of sit pop don't realize just how simple it is to set up your own company. Oh, easy. Yeah. Well, you learn as you go. And I did. I still. I still don't know half the things I'm doing now, but that's why I, I have accountants and whatever you know, all and the different you, roles. If you look at how many, I mean, I wish you could measure measure it, the 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 statistics and how many like veterans go out set their own company and the percentage of those businesses are successful compared to the percentage of civvies that set up. Yeah, yeah, I'm successful. sure. Yeah, and I would hazard a guess that the majority are or a higher percentage are than civvies, just because. Normally good at planning, although yeah. the planning from this podcast this morning is absolutely <laughs> Um and your conviction, and 
not only after you get out, you still got that that um, attitude that I've got to do what I'm told, or I've got to do what the plan is, or I've got to do everything 100%, yeah. or even 90%. Our, our 90% is 40% faster than most civvies yeah, <laughs> yeah. our age. You know what I mean? It, we need a civvies disclaimer on this podcast, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> I told you anything goes. I love civvies, I love civvies. <laughs> um, but I think what you, you mentioned, the key word there, and that was attitude, and I think attitude probably in all areas of life in my experience will get you a lot further than probably any other any other sort of character trait because I think you know you might not have the best education you might not have the best experience but if you've got the right attitude people are normally willing to give you a chance and they'll buy into you as a person and um, I think attitude is absolutely critical to for anyone mm. leaving the services you know having that sort of can-do positive attitude mm. and there'll be times when you are feeling down when you are negative and you're getting knockbacks but attitude is and that perseverance mm. is what's going to carry you through I think. Mm. I think the military gives you a good attitude, doesn't it? You leave the military. Well, I did. Depending on your experience. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when I left the military, I suppose a lot of people leave the military sometimes because uh, they've had enough and they're bitter and they they want out. When I left the Paris, I could have quite easily stayed in. I left on a high. I did. Which when did you good. go? Yeah, uh, summer two thousand and ten. Oh, you got just before me, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, I left on a bit of a high. Yeah. And why, why were you on a high? Because I don't know. I was going for CP. I, w- I knew what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to give it a go. Yeah. But I wasn't bitter about my time in the army. Whereas mm. I met a lot of people who got out before me. Their last twelve months, they just hated it. They wanted out straight away, yeah. kind of thing. Well, I didn't. In fact, my last time bit in the army, I was back with you, and it was no. and that last the last <laughs> twelve months in the army, I kind of learned so much more and enjoyed the job even more, kind of it. Being back in A Company, yeah. it was fantastic, yeah, fantastic. And I left on a high, and I think that was good. A lot of people, when they're leaving the army, they're they're bitter, they want out, they c- it couldn't come quick enough. They're just, you know... Mm. It yeah, worked, I, th- I think it it's quite stressful as well, though, that tran- that period of sort of getting ready to leave, because I think nobody nobody likes the unknown do they, in, yeah. in life. You know, that's what... I think as a soldier, you, you or, or just as a human being, you always want to be in control of whatever your destiny is. And, and there's that massive sort of black cloud of the unknown above you as you're leaving. Uh, most people don't, they, they might have an idea, but quite often the people who go and do resettlement have nothing to do with that six months later, whether it's a gas fitters course yeah. or a plumbing course. Yeah. Or, what, what did you do for yours, resettlement? Did I did for mine. <laughs> Dog walking now. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I, well, I, I used all my LCAS for the degree studies and things, so oh, all mine was yeah. sort of focused around that maritime security was, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the flavour of the month when I was leaving. So when you, so when you did your, what, 2009, so was it, you had, did you qualify for the three £2,000? Yeah, so I was, I, I found it, you know, one of the things what I would say as well to veterans is, or, or service leavers is, the system isn't very clear and I don't, I think that's one of the areas where the military can improve because... Yeah. It's a minefield, and, and nothing's got a flag saying, come over here, the funding's available. You have to literally <laughs> dig, dig, and find it. Because yeah. I, I found something called the, that's beyond the LCAS, so there was the three yeah. LCAS claims, yeah, and then there's a bonus yeah. one. Um, Is it for uni? Yeah, for uni. No one knows about this. Yeah. Yeah, no, nobody, nobody knows. I think nobody I, knows when I told it. people, they were like, no, no, I said, I've done it. They paid the money. They got yeah. the check. Yeah. Um, so I did. Because I, because I had no qualifications when I was in the army, academic, I'd left school with nothing. I had to, to get onto a bachelor's degree, I had to go and do a foundation degree first. It was 18 months at Leicester University. Then got onto the bachelor's. Um, so by the time I'd done the foundation and the bachelor's, that was my three £2,000 claims to cover. And I wanted to go onto the master's. And there's a, there's a system in place in the military that if you have studied 
from entry level um, using and you stayed on the same path in terms of subject. So I was in security risk management. Um, we will give you a bonus one, and it's not even capped at a fee. It's just to pay for that course. I think mine was like something like seven and a half thousand, which was more than the three L class claims <laughs> to let you do a postgraduate degree because you'd followed the career path from being in the military of the L class. So I, I got the free two thousands plus a full di master's level I degree. I think it's changed since then. I think it's changed slightly since then. The, it was the, called PHLF or something, something like something like that. Something's yeah. like a four letter acronym yeah. or something. They it, don't tell you. They don't tell you. Or it was actually if the uni that told you me. Don't really understand. It, it was the university yeah. that told me about it, not the army. Yeah, the, the way I understood it was um, you. So, regardless of whether you use your LCAS or not, right, you could you you can use it to go and get a degree, and the level of that degree depends on your academic qualifications or um, yeah, qualifications. Um, but let's say, for example, like you've used your uh, one your first LCAS through your CP course, yeah, you've got two other LCASs left. You want to do your PHLF. Mm. You want to do your you've got that extra grant. If you haven't used those other two LCAS, they take those yep. and put it towards that. So, so because I'm going to be all over that. The plan, like I, I'm on my third. I've used my only just used my third LCAS yeah, now, yeah. Um, and then I, I was hoping to. Do a, I'm hoping to do a master's in security risk. I haven't got a foundation degree because I off the back of the book, the the manual. Yeah, yeah. You get credits and things. I, yeah, I th basically I think you're going to be eligible. I think I probably I probably I probably jinxed myself. You, probably the senior NCO thing will get you through as well. Like, that was one of the things for me. Yeah, if I'd have been mate. a senior NCO, see CLM and all that sort of no, stuff. Because I found out about so with, with a senior NCO with any rank, right? Mm. You, that is directly you can directly translate that into CLM, uh, uh, civic quals. Sort of leadership and management, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, leadership and management. It's, it's an MVQ, but you have to do it within two years. And okay. I found it was I, mine could have been like a level six or level yeah, five, yeah. I think it was. And because I, I found out after a few years, I couldn't have it. There's another one they don't flip and tell you. But five mm. sixes, like bachelor's degree, you know, seven's master's. Yeah, yeah, yeah five yeah. sixes. I mean, that's the thing with the the career transition partnership and the career transition workshops. Like they, I found it good. There's a lady called Heather Heather um, Wheeler Heather Heather Desberry, sorry, there, and she was fantastic. But it's so short a time. Yeah. So short a time. They're trying to teach you what options you can go on to. This is when you're still in, when you haven't got a clue what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you haven't yeah. got a clue, mate. Yeah. And they go, right. They teach you 10 minutes about a CV. Right, you need to write your CV. And you're going, uh, team medic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good at uh, leading uh, section battle. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, section, section attacks and that. Um, but going back, the biggest, one of the, one of the biggest, things we've got when you're in is that network we become so dis when you're in and you know it when you're in when people leave you don't stay connect with them no, no. you don't people leave. and i hated myself for that cause i knew there was guys struggling with pts suspectedly PTSD and different things when i got out i realized that i thought oh man i should i should have stayed in touch with them. you you have every intention when you're in to stay in touch but because of the way it is it's like military civvy you just don't you're yeah. so busy when you're in but stay in touch with people that means you've also got people to reach out on and get advice. One of the, one of the ways I managed it early on because I was a bit I like, I like my write things down, can Google Calendar, did it yeah. I schedule it all if I get a chance. Was I put a I put a reminder because I you know I was job hunting like everyone does and I wanted to get in the CP and putting the putting the feelers out and I started reconnecting with people on LinkedIn and I put a, a reminder on my uh, I think it was Google Calendar at the time and it was monthly. And for each person I, I thought was in, I said, right, just drop, drop them a message. 
Yeah. As going, we talk, you know, we talk, um, yeah, yeah, keep the network soon. alive. Don't, don't, don't be looking for anything. Exactly. exactly. Keep it alive. Exactly. Keep it alive. Exactly. And when someone comes to you it, it, with a question, never like, because they will do, whether you're out with yeah, you yeah. in. Can you help me out with this? Never be the, no, sorry. Yeah, you know, be the, yeah. no, but I tell you, who might be able to help. Yeah. Even if you can't help them out, yeah. and this is sort of a fact. Well, that's the linking the people in, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so yeah. there's the sort of the, the the old expression which I I never use actually and don't really like. It's we're going to use it. Yeah, when I'm going to use it for the purpose <laughs> of this podcast only, I'm going to use it. So people always say it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm. Yeah. But I flip true. it on its head. I say it is what you know, but it's who knows you. It's not it's not who you know. It's who knows you. You need to be mm. the go-to person that when you know when I want CP, I want to be thinking Puker, which is the guy I've got to go to. You know, I want your name has got to be the one that comes up in the in someone's head. If I want maritime security, Jordan, I'll speak to Jordan because if he doesn't do it, he'll, he'll tell me someone who does. Yeah, yeah. And be that link and that middleman and that uh, that connector, that sort of influencer, mm-hmm. um, because then you're all also in, or not directly, but you you are filtering opportunities. You're seeing the opportunities from a commercial business perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're the person who's connecting, you know what's going on. So you don't, you know who, 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 and you can join the people together. You know, you, you know that there's a great medical company over there because you used to work with them, whatever. And he needs a medic. Let's put them together. Yeah. And that, life life. Is is very reciprocal like that. If you help people and do good, yeah. you know people don't forget. I don't think yeah. karma too. You do good yeah, things; yeah. it comes back eventually. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But also, just on, just sorry, just on the networking point as well. I think you, you mentioned a good point about who's already in your network when you're in the military. And one thing, what the, the sort of the cat badge ethos is really good for is finding people who were your cat badge but you never served with or met. That's something that I found really strong. So, so for example. The, the gentleman at Control Risk tomorrow is a former King's Royal Azar. I've reached out to him. He supported me. I never met. I, the first time I'll meet him, we've we'll already in, got the connection. We've already got the connection of we served. You know, we're cut from the same cloth. We Hazar yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, and again, the things like regimental reunions, association meetings—they're all great for you. Find so many weird and wonderful people that are up to crazy things. Uh, you know, most of them, some of them are sort of 1950s, 1960s they served, might be just doing the national service, but they're still very proud that they were part of, you know, that military yeah. connection and always willing to help you and, you know, and vice versa, help them. Um, there's a, there's an, another famous quote, because I love my memes and my quotes, as you know. <laughs> tell me about their memes. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, it says that the currency of real networking is generosity and not greed, you know, and, and it sort of goes along that theory of because human nature always people come to you when they want something don't yeah. they yeah. So, yeah. don't be one of those people yeah. sort of thing yeah. try and help people yeah. and uh, you know as we say it's, it's reciprocal if you're going to reach out and, and I did years ago three or four years ago years ago it's like three or four uh, I did an I did an article on LinkedIn and I named it something catchy like um, uh, 15 15 reasons why you know something something CV um, and one of the bits of advice in there, not CV, talking about networking. networking. I call it inbound networking. I call my own term for it because, you know, it's like catching that. And, uh, <laughs> really caught on that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, got, got like 17,000 views. I was on a... <laughs> What's this guy talking about? I've uh, <laughs> <laughs> seen his dickhead. Um, he, what, was I say, what was I saying? Then? One of the things in there, was, and in not so many words, was if you're going to connect with someone, whether you've got connection or not, whether they're a mate of yours from old or not, your first message does not want to be, 
Can you get me a job? But how many blokes do that? You you, you run your own security businesses or your own companies. Normally, the first message you're going to you get is guys asking for a job, isn't it? Have you got any jobs going? I'm sympathetic to it. I'm sympathetic to it (laughs) because I understand it because that's the majority of the mindset. But for for people who aren't like sympathetic like myself in that way, because I understand it, it's not. Well, a lot of people won't even reply to you. (laughs) Delete if you're lucky. No, I mean, people uh, expect yeah. you to be able to get them jobs too. I mean, had many messages saying, you know, can you get us a job? And I'd be like, I can't, you know, I can't pull the pull the strings. That's the thing. But I used to be like, look, I can't guarantee you a job, but what I will do, I do know the woman in HR. Yeah, I will ask for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not very, just very, not just. Clean. It's very, very and, and I think as well on that point, um, it's probably for a service leaver to highlight that. Just because he's a good mate or a good drinker in the bar, yeah. he's not the person you want to be recommending for a job. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're putting your own yeah. reputation on the line. <laughs> yeah. you know, everyone makes yeah. that mistake, don't they? Bring it, in your best mate. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to vouch for someone. That's like not, it. Unlike yeah. the, it goes back to that. Unlike the military again, where you know you, you get your mate on a, on a task that's great, but yeah. in in civvy world, you know he's going to get you the, your sack if you get it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and you want to get we, one chance. We, <laughs> yeah. we we spent some time in Dubai, didn't we? A couple of weeks in Dubai, and, and like it was a visa drama. So we're trying to get into Iraq, and we had two weeks at one point, two weeks in Dubai, yeah. and it was this carnage. And you learn, <laughs> that was tough. you learn now the drama, Queens Army. Going, Jesus yeah. Christ, I ain't going to going, never be okay. <laughs> but we're stepping back. I mean, going right back, running dangerously. So you we digress get, for about twenty minutes, yeah. then, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my name in Wales. Digress. Yeah. <laughs> um, you so. You're raising money, so and you were on about education and for for young children ends. in conflict. Yeah. yeah, how are you do? Are you building schools? Are you donating to organisations who build those schools? How are you? you so we're working it? with um, four charities. And it, sorry, is it, is it just those three countries that you're doing the half marathons in? Yeah, so ten k half marathon, full marathon, and it's progressive mainly for for fundraising. But purposes. those three countries: Somalia, yeah, Somalia Iraq, Iraq and, Afghanistan. Yeah. No. yeah. So the link is the countries that I've worked yeah. in, or, or whatever, you know. Touch my heart, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so so thirteen years actually. I, when I when I run this week, it'll be thirteen years today. You know, like you guys lost a lot of friends and colleagues in the in the military, and it'll be thirteen years to the day what well, I lost one of my teammates in in uh, Alamara oh, tomorrow. Uh, no, when I when I do my run at the weekend, oh, okay. um, it'll be so it'll be quite a bit of a memorial piece yeah. to it as well. Um, we'll do some blogging and what have you, um, which which should be good. Um, probably quite emotional, but was that in the riots? Was that in the rights in Basra? No, we, oh, Amara, it was the same Amara, period. Amara, Amara, it was Alamara, yeah, yeah, but it was yeah. the same same time. Yeah, same time, yeah. you know, when the, the guy on the warrior went on fire. Yeah, oh, yeah. Staffordshire yeah. Regiment. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, but yeah, but uh, yeah, and then obviously go to Afghanistan. We're working with three charities. Sorry to answer your question: War Child, uh, UNICEF, um, the Darlington Foundation, very small one in Somaliland, and a new charity called Frontline Children, which I'm uh, trying to get heavily involved in doing some really good stuff. I, li- I like the, the concept of Frontline Children. is very small charity, but what they're trying to do is. The people who fundraise and, and take your money on the street, whether you're a bucket collector or, or you're the guy who, who gets a sponsor, um, they're the same people who will go out and deliver the project as opposed to, you know, these one of the problems with these big corporate beasts is you got, you know, I'm not pointing at any particular charity, but people sat in London on a quarter of a million quid a year at the top of these charities and... You know, you're thinking to yourself, it's a charity and you're on a quarter of a million pound a year and you've got... I didn't even realise till recently that a lot of these people that are signing forms in the street when they pull you in, they're, yeah. all, they're all paid salary. I thought I thought these were volunteers, a lot of these. My mate, the thing is my mate Colin, I don't know if you've seen it, he's uh, ex-one para. I worked with him out at CP. He, uh, 
He started challenging these, uh, you know. Yeah, I met him recently. You know, Carl, yeah. I want to get him on. I met oh, him yeah. um, in his scouser. Yeah. We need a yeah, translator. Yeah, yeah. We need yeah. a translator. <laughs> 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 I met yeah. him at Chennai 60, actually, Liverpool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he did a, he was, uh, did a lot of work for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I used to work with him. In he was, he was videoing him, weren't he? Challenging yeah. the charities. Uh, from mainly there, around the veteran and military yeah. injured service. From there, he like, right, I'm going to, yeah. Well, a lot of them got shut down because of his work. He looked into it a bit deeper, didn't he? And, yeah, he's like... This needs to stop, and fair play to him. Donated a lot the, of his the thing, time. The thing is with it is that um, like what Colin does is he, he, he was he was challenging charities that weren't really charities or they weren't donating money. I was actually going to bring <laughs> what you were just talking about and and sort of that corporate structure of charities and the people at the top. And so I was actually I was going I was thinking yeah, I'm going to bring that actually because I completely disagree with what you're saying. No, that's fine. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, that's good. Cool. That's you know. I I I'm not I, that I think we're right. a lot. I think a lot. I've got um. I've got like connections. Connections, let's put it that way. I, I met Sophie Parry, um, um, Parry's help. The, the founders of Help the Hero, their daughter. A friend of mine is a very good friend of hers, and, and, yeah, and yeah. I met them, I think. And, and um, at times I've been under the wing of Help the Heroes and various other, other charities. Um, and one thing to. The thing to understand from my perspective is that if you have to, in order to raise the sums of these these charities start off small, they start off yeah, small, yeah, and they grow and they grow and they grow. And if you get the wrong people in, in position, the wrong places, yeah, then they either stop becoming as focused as they are and, and not as efficient as they are, and therefore wasting money, or they don't go in the right direction. You could argue that. Um, I don't know, help the heroes, for example, spend, I don't know, £10 million a year on advertising. Yeah, well, why is it that? £10 million could be going to such and such. They spend, I don't know how much the boss gets paid, you know, let's say, let's say that's £10 million. Let's say they're raising 50, 40, 50 million over the, you know, in a year. And yeah. obviously, I'm, I'm just using yeah, yeah, yeah. figures. Th- that money that's raised and goes towards whatever it may be. I mean, it didn't, not just talking about military charities, any charities in general, that money that gets raised, that vast amount of money that gets raised, that vast amount of money wouldn't have got to that point they can donate all that if you didn't have the background infrastructure there and the money got towards the advertising. And um, I did some work for the ISPCA and it was paid and it was raising money for the ISPCA. I did. And I did it for a while. And we were paid and we met the ISPCA and they could not be thankful of us enough and they, they paid us to do it because, because of the way that we were way that we raise money and we talk about people in the streets and we were going to business it was business to business and their return so the rspca's return on paying us money to then go out and raise money because we are targeting certain people well we were targeting certain people we were targeting we wouldn't take any old donation and we were talking about monthly now when you pay two pound a month or mm-hmm. we wouldn't take anyone's it was, it's properly regulated okay in like within the businesses um we won't go and say, um, you know, you, well, you'll pay us 250 a week. We, do like an, we were doing like an analysis. If we felt they wouldn't, wouldn't continue those payments for at least three, four, five, six months, or there was a certain thing, we didn't take it. We didn't even approach them. Like, we weren't allowed to approach anyone in the age of 25. And it was a certain other criteria because, one, it's the wrong kind of person. They don't care. They do not, they don't, man, the human brain hasn't stopped forming until you're 23. It hasn't stopped forming until you're 20, like fully forming until you're 23. You can't go and ask an 18 year old for donations. But the point, the point I'm making is by 
spending money on advertising, for example, and and paying marketing companies to go and do your uh, uh, to go and find the people going to donate. No, no, I understand. Yeah, you actually end up with a greater revenue and a and a much more valuable and honest customer base, and you're not ripping off every man jack who wants to pay money. Um, and I'm choking salaries. Okay, let's say salaries. Yeah. So the kind of people with the expertise and the knowledge and the know-how to run a corporate entity, which is which is what it is, and a profitable, which when I say profitable, I mean, no, that's the wrong word. Um, economically efficient, so it, it profits on money that it can yeah. do what it will, make more money. You're not going to get that paying tuppence. You're not. You need people who have a lot of experience in doing it. You're not, I don't no, no, I, I, get, I get it, yeah. I think in paying that money, we there's the, you get a lot... The people who need to benefit from the charities get a lot more benefit. I mean, can you imagine if, if like the Oxfam, Oxfam do it, help the heroes do it? Um, they, they pay a lot of money in the background, a lot of money, but they make so much more in paying that money. It's so much more beneficial. Yeah, you, it, it's, crap, it's an interesting but, debate. It, it is. <laughs> it is. And it's. And it is. I thought about it a lot of, of yeah, yeah. years. And, uh, well, and, I'll um, give you a, a real example of. Um, I'm not, again, I'm not having a pop at any charity specifically. Well, I am actually. I'm going to mention a charity. <laughs> We, we, we tell it how it is on this show. Don't <laughs> I don't use this phrase. We're going to use it anyway. <laughs> don't tell anyone. But <laughs> so UNICEF, big and done some incredible work. Um, and I'm only talking from my very very small experience with them. So UNICEF, I contacted them last week. This is one of the project, the one of the, the charities I'm, I'm supporting. I'm going to support anyway. I'm not going to let some child be disrupted by my interaction with an individual there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I asked that the the UNICEF lo, uh, slogan is for every child in danger. I asked them for a letter last week. Wrote, wrote wrote a letter asking for a letter that I needed because one of my donors asked for an uh, an official letter on letterhead to say that I was because I'm organising a charity ball in November for the for the same project, running dangerously ball, and I wanted prize donors to come forward. So quite normally the donor will say, have you got a letter just to say that UNICEF are aware of this event, da, da, da. And all the other charities provide him with a letter, no problem. And I got a, a letter, an email from the head of fundraising at UNICEF in the UK branch saying that because your project is called Running Dangerously, we can't, we can't support this event. I said, what do you mean? I said, but, but you're happy, to, and I sent one back saying, just to clarify, you're happy to, for me to give you a check though at the end of it, and you're happy for all the other stuff I've done, but because the project's called Running Dangerously. I said, but your slogan is for every child in danger. And he said, it's a, you know, and he told me all the risks surrounding the reputation of the, and I, I don't said, understand I, I just don't, I just don't, I didn't get that at all. And and I said, but you, but just to confirm, you are happy for me to, to give you a check from the money that I've raised from the project. And he said, yeah, you're very welcome to donate to us. And I was just <laughs> like, that's just incredible, incredible that that could, that, that could happen. Well, they, they must, they must have some sheet that says companies named like or organization <laughs> yeah. name or uh, what's issue running dangerous I, I have no idea that's crazy yeah but yeah so i i obviously aired my thoughts back to him. i've not had a reply yet but you're still doing it you're i'm still, still gonna do it for him you know i'm not gonna let yeah. that you know it's it's it's, it's just it's a bit strange strange yeah that is bonkers um, but yeah no and so the other one's war child Where, war child are they yeah. Br- british companies? yeah they're in, in the uk raise a lot of money they, they um they're not in Iraq, so actually I've, I've linked a charity. Tried to link a charity to each country: so UNICEF, Iraq, Darlington, Somalia, War Child are in Afghanistan. Uh, do some do some incredible work. Um, again, raising millions of pounds. Um, it's quite hard as well. One of the things that was quite frustrating, which again, you know, I, I understand as I've learned a bit more about charities, but I wanted to. 
so I've actually there's, there's actually a couple of a couple of other charities that I'm helping in the background that I've met along the way on the journey. So going out to Somalia, visiting an orphanage, and then thought, do you know what? I've just spent a week with these children. I want to help this particular mm. this specific yeah. orphanage, um, because what the big corporates can't do, which the little charities can do, is they can link you in with individual programs and students. Mm. So for yeah. example, with the the SOS Children's Village in uh, Somaliland. I know that I've paid for this particular little girl's education for the next 12 months and, and her, her food and accommodation in the orphanage. She writes me a letter, she sent me a picture. It's a bit broke, more personal. Broken. It's personal. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I go to the big charities, the War Childs, the UNICEFs, it goes in a pot and yeah. wherever it goes from there, who knows? Because yeah, yeah. it's got to cover the overheads, the yeah. advertising, the marketing. And that, that's quite difficult. And I, and I understand the reason, like you say, very justifiable reasons, but and also for child protection and data protection reasons, but the smaller charities... Um, I don't know if I have a bit more of a affection towards them. Well, on that, so I think we've spoken about this before. Um, I, I learned this, when I learned this, last year at some point, um, and I was talking with the Parachute Regimental Association, which is a registered charity. It's part of this three, it's, there's three of them all affiliated under the same branch. You've got, the, I think, the Airborne Security Fund is another one, or Airborne something. Um, a couple of years back, uh, a mate of mine killed himself. Ex ex military, and um, he he needed to be repatriated. So Safa stepped in. Again, Safa amazing, but we're talking big charity, right? So six months, no, six months or a year later, or X amount of months later, me and and, and Ronnie's close mates, we went and we went and did um, a charity walk like twenty miles um, over the Malvern Hills to raise money for Safa, because it obviously repatriation isn't cheap. But a year later, I found out. The way the big organisations work, and this is this is also the same for the Royal British Legion, by the way, is that with with, with veterans, is that so? Let's say I go to the uh, the Power Edge Association, go, I need some help, or somebody's help, whatever. Or in the case of that guy need to get repatriated, the family and go, yeah, we need some help, yeah. Um, so if they go to Safa, Safa go, yeah, it was sorted out. They go straight. One of the places they go straight to is the regimental association or the regimental charity. Yeah. Right? Almost all the money or a very, very significant amount of the money that we that was used to repatriate um Pete came from Power the Power Reg Association, that charity. But it's Safa's name on the on the thing. So and we didn't know this. We and I only knew this from speaking to one of the ladies um who she does amazing work. Um I just forgot her name. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh, it'll it'll come to me. Sorry, sorry, nameless. Um, <laughs> She's like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moment of fame. Laura, yeah. Laura, Laura McFilly. McFilly, I met. Her, we met her the other day. Yeah, there we go. Right. We've met um, loads. Yeah. Yeah. And she was saying, I said, no, I said, yeah, no. We 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 basically go, yeah, you are right. You give them the money. The money goes from Safa to the family. Then people think it's Safa. So we were going to raise money in that run. It goes to uh, on the walk. It goes to Safa. It doesn't go. They don't go use your money back. Power Edge Association. Yeah. They still have to keep raising the money. As I understand it from what Laura's saying, that's the same for all, all of them. So with KRH, Safa will go to K, KRH for the money, but the money then the money goes from I'm KRH sure Association to Safa. Safa get the family. The family goes. Safa, you're amazing. And Safa are amazing. I mean, yeah. they are amazing. I guess what it, what ultimately matters is the person gets the treatment, doesn't yeah. it? Absolutely. But then on the back of it, the small charities that you're saying, and these are small charities, although they're long established, like the regimental charities yeah, yeah. and that, they're still small. Yeah, yeah. They still need the donations. And mm. they struggle to get at these yeah. things. Again, because they haven't got the marketing budget and stuff. 
But it's an interesting. I could I I was really surprised. Mm. I was really surprised. I saw as well. You know, one of the other things is the amount of charities now, and we're we're almost I think diluting some of the good work of other charities. I saw um, Johnny Mercer and Trevor Trev Colt the other day on Good Morning Britain with Pierce Morgan. Who were they? So you got um, John, Johnny Mercer is the ex uh, army officer who's an MP, a Conservative MP. It's quite. A oh lot. Yeah, yeah. And Trev Colt is running this uh, the Democrats and Veterans Party, this new party. And they, were, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and they were basically, um, they were debating uh, about PTSD and the charities and where the money's going. But one of the stats that they used was that there's 4,000 injured servicemen-related charities out there. Some of them we never, you know, we've never heard of. They're that small. But 4,000 of these things doing the same thing. And this is where the scammers, people yeah. are taking money from there yeah, everywhere. Colin... Scosa Colin East today. He's, he's all, all, yeah, he's he's all over it. it. Colin's done, took about 10% of them out this month, I think. <laughs> Colin won't take no shit either. Well, it's a bandwagon, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. like, again, it's a bandwagon. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, license to print money. Yeah. It's like, I reckon when, when yeah. like, you know, like back in the 80, well, the 84 and the AIDS got discovered, or 80, 82, and AIDS got discovered and all that, I bet the same thing happened then. Yeah, I'm not saying like PTSD is it. controversial, yes. But, you know, so I bet there's a flipping millions of charities kicked in and anything big like that. Ebola, I bet the thing, same thing happened yeah, Ebola. Yeah. All the bluffers jumping on the bandwagon, yeah. get so much money in, 5% with the charity of that, yeah. and then 95% with the pockets. 90% on the, uh, the boss's so, salary. Yeah. So, so how does this work, this podcast? How You said uh, we're going to let the guests choose whatever money you would make from the... Uh, not not make the charity money raised. Yeah, so if then we let each guest choose. Yeah, so as so we've got we we're raising money in different ways. Obviously, we need money to continue the production, um, and then if there's any residual, that will go towards a ch- a charity or a charitable cause or someone seller. I am skin. You need dog walker. You need dog walker. Jordan needs dog walker. Um, I think what I yeah I think what will happen is is I, I was thinking is I was going to say because again I'm flying by the seat of my pants I'm going to say well what's mm. raised from this podcast will go towards your charity but it's going to be hard to quantify what's raised from this I think if we over the course of a month I'll know because the Patreon page isn't set up yet it's it's, that, it's not been published and because I want to get an episode down and go look this is what it's all about yeah yeah you know and, and because otherwise there's no validity to it you know um I can't believe. Really, TMT have given me money without even me filming the show. It could be in Barbados by now. <laughs> yes. And uh, no, and also, I think what I'll do is if we film, for example, eight film, if we do eight shows over the course of a month, then every person, every one of those guests are going, oh, well, what money to go towards this? Whatever we raised in that month that we can donate, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll be divided by eight and go, right, Jordan, you want to go into, I don't know, UNICEF, for example. Yeah. You want to go into Jordan's dog walker. You want to go and uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I think I'll do it like that. Of course, yeah, I think that's your best way. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Anything that gets so a bonus, so you know, it's so anything, so you know. Yeah. Um. I. I, I but I, I. That you know, one thing is the money side of it. Yeah, amazing. But the second thing I, I do think is just this. I mean, I'm learning stuff here. You know what I mean? I'm learning off you yeah. guys, and I've been out for what six, <laughs> six, seven years, still learning. When when you got out, did you go straight into maritime? Yeah. How come you? Why did you make a decision? How? I think, um, well, it's the, the market conditions as well. I think time, it's like, I guess I, I wasn't in business that, at that time. was a height of that. Oh, so oh, nice. sh- Maritime was just kicking off then, wasn't it? Just with CP off. and release was yeah. on the peak. Yeah, Maritime was, oh, nine was, Maritime was just emerging. Then 10, 11 was the peak, you know, the, 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 the sort of the, the pop star wages and what have you. Yeah. Um, 
and I think quite lucky to get in early. When you, when you, at the start of maritime industry, very unregulated, very ungoverned, you literally was ex-military and you jumped on a ship. Mm. Come forward, you know, eight nine years now, you need every <coughs> ticket under the sun. You know, it costs you probably three or four grand, and you're never going to earn that back for about another year now. You know, mm. in this the current market, we were getting on ships at five six hundred pound a day. Now sixty dollars a day is the rate. Crazy, yeah. incredible Crazy. out there. But the market changes, and you don't. You know, it's like any people. You know, the threat win. doesn't. The threat doesn't. Yeah. No, the threat the threat has changed. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, in the maritime, you know, in the maritime, okay. definitely. Yeah, you know, there's we've had, we've a billion spent on naval operations in the region. There's there's lots. You know, I think what I meant was the threat. Sorry, the threat doesn't change in direct relation to the the price of money you get paid. No, I think so because you, you look at sixty dollars. Well, not, maybe not sixty. You're the expert, mate. I don't know. I don't no, know. I think yeah, the threat the threat is in line, or or or, or the pay is in line. Uh, you know, well, I think they've been underpaid still, but I don't. I don't think it's it warrants what it was. In, if we, to put it in terms of scale, we've not seen. Uh, you know, we've not seen a hijacking in in a couple of years. In two thousand and ten, we saw we had forty hijackings. Uh, we had forty ships sat in Somalia, over a thousand hostages. We've not got you know even one hundredth of that at the moment. What a one over that period of time? No, no so at one at one particular time at the height, we had more than forty ships. You know, we're talking big oil tankers, yeah. cargo ships in Somalia, and over a thousand seafarers held hostage. Now we're talking, you can count on one hand, you know. know so it's, it's, it, is in, it is in line with the threat. You know, the Navy have done a great... The armed guards, actually, have been a big victim of their own success. Yeah. You know, no, no, it's still statistically today, no vessel has ever been hijacked with an armed security team on board. Yeah. Score so on that, then. Your book, Citadel. Oh, it's funny you should mention that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jared, the pest, has gone and bought it. So I don't it's know, about... I, I haven't... I, Again, it's one of those things for you. I see it. I think, right, he's doing good things, but I don't read any deeper. <laughs> I think the service going, tell me what's sitting there. Go on, you tell me, Jerry. You're well, so I've, interested. I've not read it yet. Basically, I searched it. it I managed to find it. For, I think I paid £6.24 for it. It was the it's lowest bargain. possible. I know, but it's the lowest possible thing. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to get it so I can sign in and I can pack it back on eBay and get back, make some money That's back. That's two dog walks, right, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I haven't read it. You know, I've been, I've been far too busy. Obviously, there was a book, you know, book launches of myself, you know, can't, you know, third book I'm in now. I'd, 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 yeah, so I've been too busy to get around to actually reading yours. But no. I did have a flick through it. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, not, it's not a colouring book. There's no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, tell us about it. No, you know, <laughs> no it's, um, it, you know, it was, it was involved in an incident uh, um, probably seven, eight years ago now where we took a vessel into Somalia, into Mogadishu, part of an, an international aid programme delivering rice and grain to the Somali people. In the maritime world, the way it works is depending on what what uh, what what, vessel, what country the vessel is registered to. Every, every vessel has a flag on the back of it, which is the country of registration. Every country, like every country in the world on land, it has different rules and regulations regarding weapons. You know, putting putting an armed security team on a British flagship wasn't possible um, until quite recently, only a couple of years ago. So throughout the height of piracy, you couldn't have armed guards on a British ship. But there aren't that many British ships in the big scheme of things. You know, I'm talking a handful. Um, we were on a vessel that didn't allow the carriage of arms. So some people would say, "Well, what was you what was you doing then? You know, how would you provide security? You know, but we would put in a crisis management plan. We would harden the vessel with resources, the razor, all the stuff you see in the films, the fire hoses, um, train them and what have you. Um, and we we got boarded by pirates um, and. You know, we go down to what we call a citadel, which is a panic room or a safe room that, that we've identified on the vessel. Um, and you know, the, the idea is you go in the citadel and then you get on the satellite phone and call the call for a rescue. Um, we got down there, 
and the satellite phone wasn't working. We're in a black spot in the ocean. Exactly. So we were down there and we had some quite serious decisions to make. I'm the, I'm the security team leader at the time. And, and there's a, you're like, you're like in the CP, CP world, you're only an advisor. You're not there to, to tell, you know, the, the, the boss what to do. You're, you're an advisor ultimately. Um, and when the boss doesn't want to take your advice, but you know, from your own experience that, you know, he should be taking this advice yeah. and you have some pretty heated and, uh, and hard, hard discussions. Um, so yeah, we, we were stuck with no comms, um, to coordinate a rescue. And the problem being in a maritime world, if you're in the middle of the ocean with no comms, nobody's going to come and rescue you if you don't tell them that you're there. Um, so we had some, I won't, I won't ruin the story for the listeners, but that was, the, that was the point we got to where things get interesting. Oh, um, but yeah, but it, I, how I, many boarded? There was six pirates, uh, RPGs, AKs, all that. How many crew uh, there? Over 20. Yeah, it's old mixed nationalities, you know, yeah, it's know. a little hot room size of this. Yeah. Um, engines on, you can't hear much, it's dark, all lights are off, people are getting agitated, people crying emotional, as you can imagine. Um, but I, I was quite lucky as well, worked on the Captain Phillips, Tom Hanks film. As, I was going to ask that. I'm sure, I'm sure the next PF lad was when... No, i tell you it was. It was... Um, some guy I know. There's quite a few ex-military lads in, in, involved in it. Yeah, like, yeah, right. we filmed, we, I was involved in the Malta phase. We filmed a lot of it off Malta in the Med. Oh, yeah, yeah um, which wasn't that risky. Did you get to meet Tom Hanks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, lovely yeah. guy. Yeah, he sent me, when I brought the book out, actually, he sent me a signed uh, good no. luck sort of message and what have you. That's awesome. What, on your book? Yeah, yeah no, no he, he sent me a pic. I sent him a book and he sent me one back saying, you know, because we worked together. We spent like three months oh, with really the guy. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. No, and he's one of them guys as well that when you know when you meet like somebody famous, or, or a real sort of A-lister, and you're thinking, I hope you're as good as what I think you're going to yeah, be. And he was. And normally you're disappointed, yeah. aren't you? But he was as good, you know, he had time, for, always had time for the lads having a beer, didn't matter what your job was, he wanted to learn about you, yeah, get to know everyone around him. Um, you know, re- really genuine, nice guy, um, which, oh, was, which was good. He is one of the best, isn't he? Yeah. The end of he's one of the best. Because the end of Captain Phillips, unless I got it wrong, is when he's on that island and he's talking to that football. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's, That's the one. Different That's the washed up. But yeah, but there was no, there was no, um, you know, there was no. The media wanted the story at the yeah. time. It's quite in the Maritimes. It's not yeah. famous in the world, but in the Maritime world, that the famous. It was quite, quite infamous, if you like. Yeah. Um, but we were on. I was under an NDA from the security company, from the ship owner, uh, and then the, the the Mirror Books, the Daily Mirror, Mirror Trinity Mirror. They own all the newspapers in the UK, about seven hundred and fifty titles, and the largest publishers. They um, they said they came back um, eight years later and said. Tells the story still. Nobody's told it, and there, there was. I think you know a lot of people have done Iraq, Afghanistan. Lots of ex-military had done the the, the pit, haven't they? And the, no one had covered the maritime, so it, there was a gap. It from a commercial perspective, from a publisher, yeah. there was a gap to sort of encompass that last nine years of of, of what's gone on. And I was quite fortunate to not only do the the maritime security, but in, be involved in all other aspects of the industry, from running a floating armory business to running a training company that provided the guys to go on board. So I, I sort of managed to somehow box off all the the supporting elements of the maritime sector, um, and that, and still do still still do that today. I'm a I'm a flag state advisor for Djibouti. I'm in the International Maritime Organization tomorrow. You're what for Djibouti? So I'm a security advisor in in in, in normal terms for Djibouti. For Djibouti, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I'm retained. Every... Man, you get everywhere. He <laughs> was in he was in Monaco last year, or Monte, yeah, Monaco last year. He was on some yacht, yeah. some bluff conference he was bluff, doing bluff, in the Maritime. Yeah, Monaco yacht show. It's an integral part of the Maritime. I'm sure it's the same weekend as the F1. It's the same weekend as the F1. Yeah, Maritime. <laughs> no bluff, too tough. <laughs> That's, That's it, Jordan. That's it. <laughs> That's it. So, Fair um, on, mate. Fair you've got, you've done, you did. When was the Somalia half marathon? When did you do February. that? February, ten k. Yeah, 
Yeah, ten k. Sorry, and then you've got <clears throat> how how many k's is a half marathon? A miles is thirty. Oh, twenty point one. How have you been training for it? Like with the, like the conditions. Like yeah, we've been doing. Yeah, we've been forty odd degrees out there. 42 yesterday, yeah. Yeah, how, how did you prep yourself for that? Well, obviously, you guys <laughs> not, not drinking the IPAs. You know what? I went to a physio the other day and I had one of those sort of sports massages. What one of the sponsors had donated, and he said, Just don't drink any alcohol this week, <laughs> uh, had... be hydrated. I walk in here and he's giving me a beer straight away. <laughs> <laughs> Three bottles of water, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we did lots of stuff. We did altitude masks and you know, yeah, sort oh, of getting your get... nails in them. Really I had a, tough, a mate yeah. in Iraq, he used to train a lot, uh, Alid. Are you on about the, He's the one who actually stabbed my knee in the jiu-jitsu, actually. <laughs> okay. good, a good mate. Yeah. Lovely guy. <laughs> Lovely guy. He, uh, oh, yeah, on the running machine for the uh, the masks. It really nails, hard. It gets, you, it gets your lungs like no, working. That's not altitude mask, is it? That's it, 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 it is, but it's not. I don't use it for altitude. I use it for just making your lungs work yeah. a lot harder yeah. than they would do for the humidity and things like that. Have you seen what Baz Rutten says about that? No. Have you seen the Baz Rutten mask? No, no. But a lot of people don't, just don't agree with him. Like, like but, it. but listen to this. So, Baz Rutten... You know, MMA, like world famous old school. I don't, I don't know him. No, don't know him. He's the guy. You know, Bazza. He smudges, mate. Bazza. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's in the film. What's that MMA film where the school teacher becomes the school teacher becomes an MMA? He's partner. the chef. He's the chef on the board of shit. Not a chef, mate. Oh, that's Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> not an MMA <laughs> film either. Go on, oh, the big fat guy, the teacher, he goes <laughs> and does MMA. And anyway, but anyway, right. So Baz Rutten. He has a, he has a, I can't remember what he calls this mask, but it is being, he just designed it on a, a child experience as an asthma sufferer mm. with his lung closed up and he was having, but he, something with it, he was having trouble exhaling. Right, so, but after it, he was saying after that, that experience as a kid and as a, a young adult, his four or five years after his breathing, he would be an absolute machine. It's yeah. like VO2 masks go through the roof. Oh, really? So he designed this mask and it doesn't, it, 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 um, it's a restrictor, isn't it? It makes your lungs have to work harder. But on breathing on exhale. out. That's on exhale. Exhale. Isn't it? How I might have that wrong, but I'm sure it's on the exhale. And he, wow. people so swear about it. Yeah. So it's usually the other way around, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? It's inhaling. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. got filters around yeah, it that yeah. you can change and I, adjust. I could be completely wrong. I think <laughs> just, just made that up. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even in the market. It's not even in the market. It's exclusive. He is a Dan. He is a chef. No, yeah. So, um, and then, yeah. when's your Afghan one? October. Where, which, you know, can you even say which province? No, I don't want to. Okay. <laughs> are you going to go, like, way to, like, Cyprus or somewhere and train before going there? Or you Probably just... jump down to Marbella or somewhere. Yeah, uh, train down there, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah are you going to do any, like, you know, somewhere? Yeah, yeah I'll probably do trekking. a bit, yeah. In in yeah in a in another in a country, hot, yeah in I a need to cl- well I got I'll go out tomorrow and I probably won't run till you know Sunday in Iraq I'll I'll yeah. do a few days get a, sort of trying to acclimatize as best as possible but I'm not trying to but it's probably important to emphasize I'm not I'm not trying to break any world records here all I'm trying to do is get to the get end round it that's all I'm looking for I'm not I'm not time isn't even unless someone starts shooting time isn't even it's just you isn't it just yeah. You, it? yeah my yeah. mate's just done that. Uh, the Sahara Desert. Yeah, one. Marathon Disciples. That's it. Incredible. He's just done that stupid. Yeah, one of my old CEOs just done it as well. Yeah, yeah. incredible. Nails. Will Strong, uh, toughest foot race. Who's doing the one in, in the Amazon at the minute? In South America? Who's doing that one? Uh, there's a Power Reg team, isn't there, going? There's, there's a Power Reg race. It's a jungle. jungle marathon. Oh, ultra marathon. Jungle, ultra, 50 yeah. miles in the jungle. It looks nice. I can't think of the lad's name. Yeah, there's some serious company. challenges out there. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's good. Never mind good. the heat and the, the distance. Flipping the animals, mate. Yeah. The animals will get you. Trust me. Yeah, walking Gants. dogs every day, mate. Hey, use some minis, the climate <laughs> <laughs> You won't believe some of them. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I think we'll wrap it up. Uh, we can, we bring up can we bring up your socks before we... I've noticed your socks. Right. She went issued, issued desert socks. <laughs> issued desert socks. <laughs> Which, how long have you been It's the service leave, a transition uh, theme. So how long have you been out? How long have you been out the... Uh, yeah, you, it's, you been out, it's been out nine years. Don't start. It's very desert issue socks. 2010. Did you, did you leave in 2010? Loads Don't start ridiculing Did you leave in t- Don't on this can of worms. 2010 you left. 12. I've, 11, 11. 11, 2011. 11. Yeah. And you're still They're wearing... They're actually from Telic 1 as well. Yeah, <laughs> That's in the you're still wearing them. Yeah. <laughs> when you cross the border, <laughs> you're still wearing them. But yeah, it was. I just know remember the digital people. sock? Do you remember the digital sock? No. Camouflage socks? No, the digital sock. No. The, you must know about this, being a tanky. When you're out in the ground, you wouldn't, because you probably had flipping fridges and that. Right, of course we did. Oh, wait. The digital sock. So you get your so you're out in the ground in the desert. I mean, we're talking Especially like 50 odd degrees. Vehicles. You get your sock off that you're going to keep six years later when you're in Civic Street. Right? <laughs> and you get a spare sock. You put your water bottle, like one of those... Two litre bottle of water. In the sock, right? Yeah. You, you put a little bit of water. So the sock is damp. You wet, hang it on the side wet. of the wagon. So there's a slight breeze on it. It turns the water. Did you not do that? Cold. You must have done that in the Mate, tank. It's like black magic. It, it's, it's like using a what do you call it? A... No, you put the damp water on on soak the sock. Hot no, but it's, it, the, the effect is an alum as a, like a siloom. Uh, it doesn't glow in the dark. No, siloom doesn't no, glow, does no, it? No. What, what are you using it for? Right, it so the, cut, so the, chill so the water. water. Oh, is it chill? Yeah, it chill it. So the water is grill stuff. Siloom. <laughs> a siloom. What are about it? Hanging off the side of it. I've got a fridge in my tank. I've got a fridge in a cooker. It's got a master's or whatever. What do I need a water cooler when I've got one in my tank? Fair one. Yeah, fair one. So we're out in the ground doing our long-range patrols. That's what we did in the range. So you sock, you damp it down. And this is a great trick if you're out in the ground and you haven't got a fridge with you, right, in a hot place. The the water in the sock draws the heat away from the bottle and the breeze evaporates it. And it turns your water so it's cold. I'm not talking lukewarm. Cold. Cold. Yeah. Cold. From you could put in one of these socks, you could put a two litre <laughs> bottle, couldn't you? Yeah, now, and always you kept it slightly because what you use a tiny little bit, keep it damp. Unbelievable digital sock. Ten, ten years sock. later, I'm in, I'm in Iraq doing CP work with my Iraqi driver, my Iraqi team. I took my sock off, <laughs> took my sock off, put the bottle of water because it's so hot out there, and even the the, the armored vehicles can't can't mm. keep you cold. Done that trick, hung it out. The Iraqi thought I'd gone mad. <laughs> Driving, <laughs> dry, getting him to drive. I'm holding it out. I use my shoestring to hold the bottle out because you can't wind the windows down because they're all bulletproof glass. So I've had to open the door, shut it back, mm. hold it on with a shoestring and my bottle of water dangling <laughs> outside, wet in my sock. The oh, Iraqi drives on. Things have gone nuts. But then when I did, he couldn't believe it. Did they, what it did they say when they it? worked. It? Yeah, yeah, but he still thought I was nuts. We just use the wine chiller in the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where can where can you get the book, mate? Where can you yeah, you get it online and you know Amazon Watersmiths. 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 Right? <laughs> there you go. Right, yeah. Waterstones. Water, Water, W H Smiths. Watersmiths. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's out there. And you got two copies, yeah. Yeah, and, two and copies. You're going to sign them. I'll sign them. And what we'll do is then we'll with all five. Of our followers on the HR page, <laughs> yeah. all five of them, we'll auction it off. I reckon we get like four quid. Yeah, at least get yeah. four quid. Jared will buy it. He'll be, sending his, he'll be sending his back to get a refund to buy yeah, that one, won't he? Four quid. I've got one for free now. I'm no. going to send this back. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, thanks, Anthony. We'll, we'll auction them off and see what we can get from him. I might give it like a yeah, few we'll weeks. Give them away, whatever. Encourage people to share and like your page, grow your audience. Whatever. I'm looking forward to reading it now. At first, when I first flipped through, I, thought, I, looked, I went straight <laughs> to the pictures because, you know, I'm more of a picture kind of guy. 
flip through the pictures. But now I'm actually no dogs were interested. Yeah, no. <laughs> is it on Kindle? Is it? Yeah, it's on yeah. Kindle. Yeah. And running danger. Where are people? How can people keep up to date with how the race is going? Is there going to be any updates? I'll, I'll post on. Obviously, I'll slow it down a bit while I'm out there. But on social media, my uh, my handle is at, at Mr. Jordan Wiley across you know Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all that sort of stuff, LinkedIn. And your website's Jordan Wiley at dot uh, org. So yeah, dot org. You've got the blog on there as well. And you've got a podcast, mate. You've got a podcast yeah, on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will kept that one quiet. I guess in you for free on our podcast. Yeah. podcast. <laughs> What's the podcast? What do you do with it? It's, it's, it's 20 questions with, with, with me, 20 questions with Jordan Wiley. And, yeah. I, I, and the theme is inspirational, influential, or interesting. Right. So if you fit into one of those brackets, or so anything from sports stars to veterans to politicians not that there's any that many of them that are inspirational but you know <laughs> those sort of characters um you know i've had olympians on there so you answer questions or they answer i, I asked i asked the i asked the same questions every show yep. to a different person ah. and, and, the, and the concept is, is to try and uh, to try and get to know the person because normally the people who are in the media or whatever so, so, so to get to know the real them and, and the personal side of them as opposed to what we might think is them you know on the tv or the radio or whatever. Who's, the, who's the most famous person you've had on there Oh, most interesting. I'll leave that. Most interesting. Most interesting. Yeah. Um, well, they're all very interesting in their own ways, you see. But um, maybe um, diplomatic answer. Yeah, it's a very diplomatic answer. But I liked um, I liked interviewing Moira Cameron, who was the first female um, beef eater, Yeoman Warder at the Tower of London. Uh, the first I didn't ever. Know. Was a female one? Yeah, yeah. She no, she I was the know. first. Um, which was yeah. She she was lovely lady, very interesting and. Oh, but there's been loads of adventurers and you know bits and pieces. I, I, um, Brian Wood, I did last time. Uh, he won the military cross on in Alamara. Um, oh, for, when the, the Danny uh, Boy, the Danny Boy um, checkpoint in Alamara, um, the first bayonet charge since the Falklands. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. really interesting guy. Um, but yeah, but oh, something I'd like to mention actually, if I can, before we finish off, is a what is a. The campaign for justice for Carl Davis. This is a, a former Royal Marine who was murdered. Um, I've heard about this recently. Go on. I'll put yeah, it on your, on, your, on your Facebook, probably, I reckon. Yeah, so he, he, Carl Davis, he was murdered in 2011. He was doing maritime security. Um, very, very good guy. Did a lot of charity work. Duke of Edinburgh ambassador. Um, he was the best recruit in training, Royal Marine commando training, won the King's Badge, you know, pro- proper soldier, if you like. Um and he, yeah, he was. He, he went ashore on Reunion Island, which is a little place in the in the Indian Ocean down near sort of Mozambique, Mauritius, that way. And um, he went he went out for for dinner one night with the crew. Walked back to the vessel because he was on duty the next day on his own. He walked back and left everyone. And his body was found two days later. But the family have never had any justice. No one's ever. Mm. People have been uh, prosecuted and then released on bail, but no one's ever been. There's four people who killed him. A family of brothers. Um, they've they've never got justice for him. I've been trying to campaign. Um, I took it to to Parliament, to the government, um, and still no support. We've got about ten thousand signatures at the moment. We need to get to a hundred thousand. Um, and what we're trying to do is basically get the British government to put some pressure on the French government to to, to make sure someone's brought to justice. It's a French island, um, and and they basically you know they haven't. I've, spoke, I've, I've emailed, sent letters, tweeted Boris Johnson, Theresa May. The family have wrote letters, never got a response. Which is again, it's just another example of veterans being let down by. You know the very people who sent them to these weird and wonderful mm. places around the world. Um, and so what, I, what I'd like to do is encourage people to um, sign the petition and, mm-hmm. and like and share and tweet. There is a Facebook page, Justice for Carl. If you send us a link, yeah, we'll yeah. Stick, attach this. No, podcast. that'd be but brilliant. Never, I mean, in line with that, and that's, I did. I read about it recently. It's terrible, and I, I, we never spoke about Channel Six either. 
and you're right, that stuff needs to be addressed. It's like, you know, um, yeah, good it's news. not right. It's not right at all. No. It's well, you like the Chennai Six. You know, this, yeah. in fact, we got the same response back. I got an email from um, from um, the, uh, the, the the government about three days ago, which said. It's French territory. We can't intervene in another country's judicial system, which was pretty much the same answer that yeah. they give for the Chennai Six when they were in India. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, but what we learned with the Chennai Six was, you know, I guess that if you get the campaign right, you get the message right, and you get enough people behind it, yeah. the power of the people is much stronger yeah. than any government. Um, and in the end, they got over half a million signatures, you know, for the Chennai Six. So it's yeah. incredible people that were on that campaign. Send us a link. We'll get it on there. Um, and uh, at Mr. Jordan Wiley. For social media, yeah, yeah, yeah. JordanWiley.org for your website. Sit there with the auction off those books. And, um, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. No, pleasure indeed, gentlemen. And good Thank luck, you. good luck on Sunday. Yeah, cheers, cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Done, sweet, awesome. Jump up. That's the first show out of the way, folks. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Jordan Wiley, I said at the start of the podcast, an inspirational guy. He's doing great things. Buy his book, follow him on Instagram. Facebook, get him on LinkedIn. If he can't help you out with what you need, he'll point you to someone that can. We're recording two shows next week. Find us on Facebook, just search for H Hour, and hit us up on our website, which is charliecharlie1.com. You're going to love next week's guests, and we'll fire out the social media as soon as we can. They're amazing people. A final shout out to our sponsors, without whom we would be raising no money and providing no support to veterans. TMT Construction, owned by former Welsh Guard and Bradley Cooper lookalike, James Bro. You name it, they do it, and do it to perfection. Civil engineering, concrete, hard standing, paving and landscaping. Pretty much all aspects of groundwork, brickwork and blockwork. General building and kitchen or bathroom installation. Tiling, electrics, plumbing, fencing, devegetation, house clearances. Jesus Christ, they do everything. By house clearances, I'm not talking a military type. I'm talking clearing out houses, not going room to room in combat. TMT.construction for the website. TMT Construction on Facebook. Go find them. Give them a like for supporting veterans and being awesome at what they do. Maybe even get a glimpse of Jim's face if you're lucky. Jim, we love you. Finally, uh, Fortune 9 Group. Sponsoring every episode. Putting top-notch security services out there to look after your interests. But not only that, first day training including first aid at work or simply refreshers. On-site medical cover too. Provided by fully qualified paramedics who have real experience working for ambulance services. So they know this stuff. Fortune 9 have sent operators all over the UK and all over the world. Also, if you own a small business, such as a builder, landscaper, bricky, plumber, visit fortune9.group and see how you can get health and safety accreditation from a national association with Fortune9 putting together your documentation and submitting the application for you. Get yourself some street cred among potential customers by having a health and safety accreditation without you having to go and do a few years studying health and safety. It's an awesome service, it's super quick, and we have a 100% success rate with achieving accreditation for people. Fortune9.group, go visit. That's it. Till next time. Out.